This episode of Troxel Podcast is supported by Twin Motion, the simple, real-time rendering solution to create high-quality imagery, client presentations, and interactive experiences that help communicate your design ideas fast. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. In this episode, I welcome two potentially familiar voices, depending on your podcast listening habits. This one is an example of the kind of thing that can come out of just being on Twitter and being open to collaboration and opportunities. So who are the two I'm speaking of? It was my pleasure to have Janine Chastain and Evelyn Lee to the podcast and record this crossover episode. Janine Chastain is a consultant trained in architecture and business management with a decade of experience working with award-winning architects. She founded Apostrophe Consulting to help architecture firms win more work, build a culture of leadership and trust within the studio, and create a pipeline for emerging leaders to grow. Evelyn Lee is an AIA fellow, a senior experience designer at Slack Technologies, and founder of The Practice of Architecture, which is a website dedicated to helping individuals and firms identify opportunities for leadership and growth, building careers and practices that prosper in today's changing world. She's well known for seamlessly integrating her business and architecture background with a qualitative and quantitative focus to build better experiences for organizations, employees, clients, and guests. Together, they are the co-hosts of Practice Disrupted, a podcast that addresses how technology, cultural shifts, and emerging best practices in business are prompting industry disruption and transformation. In this episode, we mainly talk about why we're doing this podcasting thing. Both of our shows have a lot in common, including many guests, but we are approaching it from different angles and we bring different experiences. So we talk shop and get a little meta. This conversation includes the premise of each podcast, whether we are optimistic or pessimistic about the profession in general, what are the built-in barriers that are preventing positive change for the profession, the profession's culture of secrecy, bottlenecks in practice because of so-called sunk costs, what attracted each of us to technology? What happened to Gen X after the Great Recession? What barriers need to be addressed to implement change? The concept of found time during working from home? And why each of us decided to start our podcasts? I hope you enjoy it, and I also hope that you head over to the Practice Disrupted podcast and subscribe. They deserve your attention because their episodes have some gold in them. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with these two exceptional women who are making a meaningful difference in our profession, Janine Chastain and Evelyn Lee. Welcome. This is an exciting um, kind of unique experience for us to just do a crossover episode with someone else in our Gable Media Network. Yeah. So we've been, I guess, tweeting with you online. Yep. Egging me on, I think, is what Evelyn's been doing. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we've had quite a few of uh, similar guests, and I think there's a lot that we share in common between our two shows. So we thought that it would be a good idea to do a crossover episode to actually get together and talk about some of these things. Yeah, you guys have a great title for your podcast, and I don't. So you're, <laughs> with your title, Practice Disrupted, at least clues people in 
with mine it's just like what are those consonants next to each other for <laughs> so yeah it's great to be here i was actually just on a flight back from washington dc and i watched the newest in the ghostbusters franchise which is not that new anymore but my I first time say, watching that's pretty it old <laughs> and uh it just reminded me when you said this is a crossover episode about crossing the streams, right? So that's a good old Ghostbusters reference right there. That is a good reference. <laughs> so yeah, that's where I that's what I think of when I hear the word crossover and I think about our shows and about like what we're out there trying to do within the profession. It's very much like a even though we're not necessarily quote you know, on the same team, like we're not in the same office, we're not on the same podcast, I think we have a similar goal and what we're trying to do with the profession. So it's fantastic to be doing this today with the both of you. I think we're equally excited to spark up a conversation. I, I always there's, you know, we schedule our seasons, I think we're, we're scheduling for season four already. And then one of our people that we invited will have sh like been on your show, I think, or vice versa. And we're like, right. like we didn't get to them first. It's a different um, conversation though. I mean, it's all good. It is I, a different conversation. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. The more, the better. I've had guests on my show repeat times and I feel like every time there's something new to gain, it's not the same conversation. It's not the same topic necessarily. It's, or maybe it's adding to with new things that have been learned and so there's the more, the better. This is the kind of stuff that the content isn't the kind of content that is the building blocks of a resource library in total, but there are pieces within the episodes, I think, that are worth going back and, and digging out. But every episode has those kind of golden moments that are very different from from each other, but also from even the last time like a particular guest was on. I think also that you take a different angle and and... I definitely want to dive further into this. And so for anyone who's listening that hasn't had a chance to listen to your show yet, you actually have two. You mm -hmm. have a show that you started, and that's been around for a long time. And then you recently started Troxel, which is a shift on looking at change through the lens of technology in the industry, mm -hmm. which um, I think is definitely one area that we look at. And I hope we can go deeper on that today in our conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. I, the, the premise of Troxel podcast is looking at how technology, like you said, as a lens through which the profession is changing, like it or not, good or not. <laughs> so it is. And so therefore, it's, a, it's kind of an awareness campaign in on many respects, because it's not necessarily about specific startups or their founders even, or their product. It's about what's going on and why it's happening. It really is the kind of conversations that I want to be having because this is the kind of thing that, like I just said, like it or hate it, it's happening. So be aware of it and let's take these stories of people who are really interested. And, you know, I make the point of view that I have is that I'm, we're working on the profession, not necessarily, maybe sometimes in the profession, right? So as we work on the profession together as, you know, what are we doing and why are we doing it? Because there's some huge amounts of passion there. So what can I do as like a facilitator of these conversations to get people on the same team and get them in alignment about what's going on so that they're at least aware. They, they don't have to love it. <laughs> but for me, it's about awareness and getting people to root for these who really have the passion to take our profession to the next level. 
And your background, we should probably frame that you are an architect, that you have a background in working in the studio environment. Right. So you are really coming from it with the perspective of somebody who's been in practice. Absolutely. And I think coming up through the ranks, you know, of of our old school profession as a designer in particular, I feel like I have a, a skill set around crafting communication and, and design and working with people to get to the outcomes. When you're working with clients on projects, it's like synthesizing their super random vague ideas about and the particular ways in which they work into reality. And to me, that's what I'm doing in my job as well. And that's what I'm doing on the podcast as well. It's really a design approach to these kinds of conversations and these problems and these challenges that we come up against to shape the profession as it moves forward. That approach is actually very similar to the, I think, Evelyn, the approach we take on our show, which is to use the design framework to look at it from a business standpoint, mm. which kind of dips into a lot of different conversations. But definitely to us, it's still like a marriage of design and business and the problem solving process around figuring out the answers. And you guys both work, I mean, and Janine, you work, you, you're, you have your own company, consulting company, right? So you're working with a lot of different groups. And Evelyn at Slack, you're working with a lot of different, probably groups within the company, but also externally facing, obviously, you do a lot of speaking, you get to dip into a lot of different conversations. And there's a lot of topics that come up. And by being in those positions that I think we all are, where we're kind of active on social media and just kind of keeping our fingers on the pulse. And then with the conversations that you guys are having and that I'm having, it really helps kind of shape that overall framework and then connect the dots within it. And that's, I think, what you guys are doing as well. Yeah, I think, and then my connection back to the profession, I think is held together, oddly enough, by the AIA uh, and everything that I'm hearing from the members that I interact with there. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you, though. Would you consider yourself kind of an optimist or a pessimist when it comes to the future of where we're headed? <laughs> it's a double-edged sword. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to be the pessimist, but I, I want to be an optimist. Yeah, <laughs> I tend to be an optimist and I try to root myself in some good old pessimism because it's so there's it's interesting when you when i think about architecture and architects as a, a general population i think of them as optimistic like overall it is about the future being better and it is about positively impacting communities and change through the built environment and through the way people interact with space and what it can actually mean to somebody on many different levels which is very different than most of the time we spend in most of the buildings that we're in. <laughs> those aren't ar capital A architecture, which I think is better at fulfilling those kinds of changes. But at the same time, like we are so slow to adopt change. We're so slow to try something new because uh, you know we sell time for money and we have a certain way that we do contracts and we have a very specific piece of the pie that we deliver in the overall process, which is not that building, even though, you know, like we're never, we're, you go to a ribbon cutting ceremony and it's, and it's the, <laughs> there used to be this saying, and I'm trying to re recall it right now, but it's like, it's like the ceremony of the uninvolved, right? It's everybody's patting themselves on the back because the mayor's there and the council's there and the, the board of direct, and they had nothing to do with the project 
throughout the whole thing. And <laughs> and guess who doesn't even get mentioned in that ceremony the of architect. the Annabelle? The architect. And that's where this pessimism comes from. And I think I think where I've kind of landed from a point of view is that like we've designed ourselves into this position <laughs> literally because we're waiting around for somebody else to acknowledge or to do something mm-hmm. acknowledge us or to do something for us and it's like uh guess what like we're in charge of designing our future and by actively non-participating in that event and just because we're so project focused we're so focused on the now and not the big mm-hmm. picture of where things are going because that's not the business model. The business model is this project right now. As soon as that project is done, cool, put it in the archive folder. What's the next one? That it's hard to kind of come up for a breath when you're under all that water all the time. That's a good point. So, man, am I an optimist or a pessimist? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I was like, that kind of ended on a really pessimistic note at the end there. It Because change is hard. I mean, and I, and working in a firm for, you know, the majority of my career, literally like pushing boulders uphill to get people to adopt change has been a hard lesson. It's been really difficult. So my recent change this year by going into the technology space, but it's funny because- Yes, welcome to the dark side. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's interesting from a, because I don't look at it as like a tech company. I look at it as a people company. And I look at it as like we are working on trying to solve some fundamental problems within the architectural and the manufacturing professions and the industries and the way that they talk to each other and communicate with each other. It's super broken because the incentive is to keep it that way. The incentive is to – well, I wouldn't say the incentive is to keep it that way, but there are incentives in our own silos that keep it that way. And so when I think about it as a people profession or a people company, and I think about it from a, a standpoint of trying to work on the profession and make the profession better, it's a really good fit for me because now it's like, do you believe in this? Because you can opt into it. Whether Whereas when I'm working at a firm and I'm saying, this is what needs to happen because this is the future that is imminent. And people are like, no, thanks. I have no power there. I have no... I don't have as much influence there to get people to come along with something they are not incentivized to do. They're incentivized to cut corners. They're incentivized to do the project with less every single day, less hours, less resources, because that's faster and faster is rewarded by higher profit margins. So, man, there's like this crazy tension going on inside of our profession. And so that's, I I find it, the optimistic side of me now is like, okay, opt in. Let's go on this ride together. And the people who are ready and willing to do that, who are kind of are that early adopter mindset, will gladly do that, whereas the other ones can wait and see. I relate to this because the the struggle, it's like the dual personality going on. I, I came into this profession so optimistic and excited about the idea of becoming an architect. And then as I continued to grow in my career, I was disappointed time and time again as an emerging professional. And I think that's made me a little bit pessimistic sure. over time. And it's it's disappointing because you're right, these systems exist and when I've tried to bring change forward into a practice, it's it's never met with excitement, which has always been shocking to me. Like, why would we not want to do this better? How can we not make time to fit this in when it's going to improve the business? So um, a lot of this work that we're we're trying to invest in comes from this desire to figure out, like, well, how do we get past those barriers? How do we actually 
bring about change in a profession that doesn't see a need for change. And part of me, you know, is just I'm kind of just kind of placing my hope on the future generations <laughs> at this point, um, honestly. But I, I think any optimism that I have and any like why I still say engaged, why I run practice of architecture and practice disrupted on the side of my job at at Slack, I think is because because there, there's so there's so much opportunity and value mm-hmm. for us out there to capture, we just we just need to be doing more of it. Yeah, I agree. One thing that I don't think is too debatable is that our profession, and maybe even you know, going out on a limb here, but saying the older generations are really bad at capturing information. On one level, it's kind of what you're doing at Slack. Slack, I think, originally started out as communication and knowledge capture but it's much more of a communication device now because that's what people can do on a daily basis like i can participate in communication actually participating in knowledge capture is a lot more work and keeping it current is a lot more work because now you have to kind of mentally keep in mind or have a system in place that helps you keep track of all the stuff that you're capturing so that it isn't just a dead document, so that it is a living, breathing thing. And when I, when we place the hope in our future generations, like what do they have to build on? To me, that's one of the biggest things, the biggest disconnects that we have is like people are retiring and walking out the door with all that information. It's never been, it's in their inbox a little bit, which I'll never get access to as you know, uh, it's, it's in a set of drawings that is in a folder, like in the Indiana Jones warehouse at the end of the movie, right? It's like, where's that file? I don't know. It's somewhere in there in all those wooden boxes. And so when you think about these future generations, especially now as we're working from home and not being able to overhear things going on inside the practice of architecture in the office, in the studio as easily as they used to be, but also just on this kind of one-on-one interaction level like we're having right now over zoom it's just not easy to pick up on all the stuff that it takes to be a good architect it's just not easy at all and so how do we facilitate that so that we actually can have like a legit hope in the future generations and and maybe maybe the answer is they don't need any of that stuff i don't know but i kind of don't think that's what it is i kind of think and that's one of the reasons i feel like these podcasts are such an important part of that and putting this information out there and sharing it like where we are right now, this is a snapshot in time. It's not evergreen content. It's not like we were talking about earlier. It's not like there are nuggets of gold in here. The whole thing isn't just like this giant treasure chest, but at least we're, we're trying to capture that stuff so that there is something that can be built upon. And I, I feel like that's a huge missing piece of the puzzle and it's, it is really hard for people to, participate and contribute in that when they're just not used to do it's not a part of their day-to-day i think that also stems back to this culture though of secrecy in architecture in general yeah within the profession in general and and one that you know the more we talk about it the more we talk with our guests about how technology has this open source platform the more I like, I I feel like that's such a hindrance to our ability to move forward as a profession. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. I think that that whole paying your dues mentality falls within that as well, right? It's like, 
how do I get to the next level? I'll let you know. Like that's kind of the comment <laughs> that you'll hear from an old school supervisor. It's like, you're doing great. What should I do? Just keep doing what you're doing. It's like, really? There's no. And so, so it's really black box. And I think that also gets into this other stuff that you're talking about, which is this whole idea of like, this is our secret sauce. This, And, and therefore, like, because of that mentality, people jump from office to office because it's a black box. Like, okay, well, let's go try this black box and see if it's a better fit. Well, no, it wasn't. I'm going to go try this one because maybe it's a better fit. And so people jump around a lot and they don't have time to build within one firm. And at the same time, like none of that stuff is actually secret. And the profession as a whole doesn't move forward because we're all reinventing the same stuff at every single firm and not sharing any of that information. Right. And the other thing that's really strange to me about that dynamic of the the firm owner over the younger staff, I, I don't know. And I, I worry about being too generationalist in these conversations, but the reality is that without some of these junior leaders who are running the Revit models, it's not like the firm owners are teaching us how to use Revit. Right. We're figuring it out. We're doing the work. We're putting in the hours to build these complicated models. Yes, there's things that they're allowing us to do through being at their firm. But, you know, it's like there's a value trade-off that feels really undervalued in that relationship that I find kind of weird and very specific to this moment in time mm -hmm. where we didn't have technology. Now we do. And this generation is the one who understands how to use it. Yeah. I, I think the power is in that person. I mean, it way more than they think. Yeah, no, I've definitely been encouraging individuals to, you know, remove emotion from the decision making process. We're in this, the great resignation mm -hmm. There's a fight for talent right now, mm -hmm. you know, and people are like, oh, but they held on to me through right. through the pandemic. You know, I owe them this much or I need to finish this one last project so I can get it into my portfolio. And it's like, well, just tr try to treat your career as a business. Mm. Is your business going to suffer if you stay, I guess? Our whole profession is built on the idea of sunk costs, right? It's like we will continue to use those details forever because we already spent the time doing all that research and making sure every <laughs> word and keynote was just right. And so therefore, like the cost to replace that is too big for us to even try to use a new material that is more energy efficient or better for X, Y, and Z. So it, it extends naturally into that kind of idea about self-worth and agency within within the profession. Yeah, I've never thought about it that way, but absolutely. I'm dealing with that specifically, like that material aspect of it. So <laughs> it's like, there's two, two ways that we work. We either, it's so funny because there are polar opposites. We either just reuse the same stuff over and over and over again, because we don't want to do it again. And therefore, yep, we've already got the spec for that. We've already got the details for that. We've already got it in the Revit families. We've got all these things. And so, man, that's a huge amount of time encapsulated in those things or like let's dive off the deep end and go to the google.com page and type a keyword in and see where it goes and then somehow we end up like shopping for shoes so you're you're three or four or six hours into some product research like like those two things are polar opposites there's no so that's why i say like this is my day-to-day -day. like i'm that's these are the mindsets that i'm dealing with within our firms 
it's like there's the risk management specifier. It's like, just keep using this stuff. We will only use this kind of CMU or whatever. And then there's these other designers who are like, man, like I want to do something different. I want to do something new. Turns out I can only get this thing from Germany and it'll never get here in time and I can't afford it. And those are <laughs> polar opposites, right? So there's got to be something better out there. So maybe we should talk a little bit about what got you so interested in technology as a framework for architecture. Where did that passion come from? I would love to hear your guys' take on that too. I, I It's <laughs> funny because like I, I'm constantly reminding myself, like this is a means to an end. I'm not just a technology champion. I just want us to make progress. And also kind of pointing it like it's obvious that we're going in this direction, people. It's, it's not going back to the old way of doing things. Remember the day when we used to be able to draw this and I could just erase the lot, the dimension and put in whatever number I wanted on a set of plans, for instance. Like we're never going back to that. So I've always been kind of technically inclined. I was, you know, I graduated college. I'm going to age myself here, 1997. And I was like one of three people who learned how to be the very first class that introduced 3, 3D modeling into the program that I was a part of. And so I love like the exploration of that and the, the curiosity, like dopamine that comes from that. It's like, oh my God, I figured this out. I learned how to make websites in 1995 because I taught myself how to write code in a text editor by looking at other websites code. And so you kind of start to teach yourself. So it's just been a great learning experience. And I, I love learning. Technology is never ending evolution and it's such a fast pace that it just fits the way my brain works really well. And so I see lots of challenges and I also see lots of opportunities for solutions in the tech space, period. Whereas there's not a lot of other innovation happening. If you think about innovation, it's happening with technology. That could be hardware. It could be software. It's probably a combination of both. But it's, to me, what the most interesting part of that is, is the people who are actually making those decisions on how those products kind of come forth and what they can do and why they can do it. So for me, that it's just always been this perfect fit of the way my brain works. And it's interesting. I heard something recently about a research study on serotonin and dopamine and having to do with a lot of the way you think. So if you're, and I can't remember which one's which because I can't remember what my left hand from my right hand is, but it's one or the other, doesn't really matter, is makes you either be a very conservative person or a more willing to try new things type of a person, which is also kind of maps politically, which I think is really interesting. And so I've always been the kind of person like who likes to take risks, who likes to try new things, who is interested in change for better. And then I can clearly see people in the profession who are the exact opposite of that. And those are the people mm -hmm. that I was talking about earlier who I'm constantly like fighting with and pushing those <laughs> boulders uphill. That view is just interesting to me because for me, it, I'm a little bit flipped on that. Like tech, tech space is so safe. Because you can prototype a million different ways in it. Quickly and cheaply. Quickly. And, yeah. <laughs> right? So then my conservative side says, like, this is this is why I like it. Because I can... That's funny. Kind of, it's almost completely flipped in terms of where where you are. But, it but depends similarly, where you draw your baseline, right? Like, right, exactly. <laughs> if, if I'm drawing mine from within the profession of architecture from where it's come from, like, that is the risky model, right? Because it's just new and different. 
Right. But you're coming at it from a, a different generation and a different, like you're, you're saying, no, this is, this is where I'm comfortable. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I don't know about different generation. Like I saw so on tail end of Gen X. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, I, I was taught to code by my mom of all people. Um, but then I grew up in Los Amos, New Mexico. So that might have a little bit to do with that. But mm. um, I would love to hear more about why, why that would be different. Cause I, I just have only my experience to go off. Oh, well, well, just because Los, I think Los, like Los, Los Amos is such a unique small town, right? Mm. Um, because of the laboratory there. Uh, and my mom was essentially running IT for the laboratory, like IT support. For, so she had like, she had toaster or Linux and she knew, I don't know how many different languages she knew. She ultimately retired, felt like she couldn't learn languages as fast as those coming in to keep up sure. with IT support. Um, so when she, when her brain could not hold anymore, I think it's literally when she's just like, I need to step away from this. But no. So there was kind of a bit of a paradox there with a very forward looking role model in your life, but then also living in a community that was a small community. So maybe. Very true. Yeah. I, I can relate to that. I had a similar paradox in my life. And I would say my technology interest is really driven by my orientation point, because I am in the millennial category, though I'm on the older millennial side. My high school in the county I was in was actually one of the first in the country that issued laptops to every student. Mm-hmm. And I had it the whole way I went through high school. So it was like, they, you know, you started the semester and they give you a laptop for the year that's like a textbook. So all of our homework and assignments were done on a computer. You know, I took drafting classes, it was all in CAD. So, and then we would communicate and it was all on AOL at the time. So my whole point of view on the world is based off of this experience of adopting technology right at that moment in time and then continuing to use it. Mm -hmm. And it was only when I started getting into architecture where I could see this like struggle of – you know, the value of hand drafting, but then we had to go learn software to do the programs. And ultimately, we didn't actually learn the software that we needed to do the work when we got hired. So (laughs) it's just a disconnect of this industry struggling to catch up with what was happening at the moment in time. Yeah, I think from my perspective, kind of spanning the whole gamut of that was that I've always seen myself as kind of, and maybe this is Gen X kind of in a nutshell, is a bridge between. And because we had, we well, we chose to go along with this technology changes. Some of us did, some of us didn't. So I've always felt like the, and I think we've been labeled like the bridge generation to some level as well, or the fixers, right? Like I know how to make stuff with my own hands. I've got a garage full of tools. I build, I do design build. I I just built a deck with a trellis and I welded and I, you know, so I do all that stuff and I draw it on the computer and I model it and I can do all that kind of stuff as well. And so I can speak both languages. And so if I'm out on site, I can talk to a contractor and I know what they're talking about and I know how they're doing it. And I know the tools that they're using to do it. And I know why they're doing it a particular way. And when I'm sitting at the computer, I know how to speak the language of that group to make that happen. And so I've always seen myself. And they've also called Gen X like the forgotten generation. Yeah, I was right? going to say, that's the alternative. <laughs> the skipped over <laughs> generation, right? Because now now we're looking at the younger generations as 
you know, the up and coming leadership. It's like, well, what about what about the Jet X? <laughs> you guys are also missing a big part of your cohort because of a recession. Yeah, huge, huge. Like, talk about the the great resignation. It was just the forced resignation at that point, though. But I also, mm-hmm. you know, I, I also wonder, like, where they all went. And I really struggle as an as association leadership, you know, in the AIA, like, how do we... You, we all went through architecture school. We all have this love and passion for the built environment. How do we, how do we re-engage those people? And actually, like, where did they all disappear to? Because I felt oh gosh, so alone. So true. And we've talked about this on the podcast about how I felt so alone making the transition out of architecture. And you know, the people that I've connected with are are Janine, but like, um, in the best way possible. But not like, I yeah, I have no idea where they went. That's mm-hmm. so interesting because I don't, I only know of one person from my graduating class and I like messaged them on LinkedIn and they never responded. <laughs> I don't even know. Everybody else yeah. is a ghost. Everybody, which is crazy. It's not like a small college. <laughs> it wasn't even a small graduating class, it was, but it was like, where are you? I, I have no clue. So interesting because they're, they don't exist online. Like they mm-hmm. didn't, they chose not to follow that. So. I always think about that too. I think like, I wonder what they're doing. It's like, I can't find them. It's like, do they wonder what I'm doing? I'm easy to find. <laughs> like they could reach out. Like, <laughs> and then, and then the whole, a whole nother complex like kicks. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then I'm just like, ah, it doesn't, it's not a big priority. <laughs> Let's take a short break from the conversation to talk about this episode's sponsor. Let's talk ArcViz technology. Powered by the near-limitless Unreal Engine, our friends at Twinmotion offer a fast and easy way to produce stunning real-time visualizations and immersive experiences for your clients. Twinmotion gives you the tools you need to make faster decisions and relay information to your clients in a way that instantly speaks to them. Breathe life into your scene by changing the season, the weather, the time of day, just by moving a slider, immersing your client in a way that they'll love and, more importantly, be able to truly picture themselves in. Seriously, it's that easy. You, you have to try it to believe it. So why not share your design with stakeholders and collaborative reviews and edit your scene together? I'm a huge fan of this. There's no better way to get buy-in than by making your clients feel part of the development process. Right now, they're running an exclusive free trial for listeners of this show, which you can head to twinmotion.link trxl to get your hands on. Once again, that's twinmotion.link slash TRXL. And now let's get back to our conversation. So I guess we see so many compounding challenges facing the industry. And I know we've talked in depth about that on both of our shows. Maybe we should talk specifically about some of the limitations of actually implementing change and what barriers we think we need to get past to push the profession forward. Yeah, it's a, it's a good topic because there's so many things. I think that's one of the things that both of our shows do fall more on that optimistic side because the people that we're talking to are excited about where things are headed. And they aren't necessarily excited for where things are headed for you, you the person in the firm because everybody's kind of choosing their own adventure on that on that side of things. But overall, it it is an optimistic point of view at least for you know, in their startup, I'm sure like they wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't, but 
for for what it can do to, to, to for the profession i think is is highly optimistic so on the other side of that what are the limitations that people are actually dealing with and i think you know we hit on one of them earlier which is the ability to capture knowledge not data knowledge data is i think it's the easy part right it's like even though they're not very good at that either like tell me how your building performs can't do that right because that's not maybe something that that you're building into your models but um i think from a a knowledge standpoint i think that's a huge limiting factor for implementing change just just because people think it's a secret people aren't interested in sharing it it's not their project right now we'll figure that out later kind of a mentality push it push it push it down the road figure it out later so that that's a big one I'll I'll just throw that out to begin with, but maybe you guys have additional limitations. The knowledge sharing is definitely interesting to me. I just think it's, I don't, I don't know. I mean, my whole thing is just like, we can't get out of our way fast enough. We can't, and we can't make anybody do it either. Right. So, so it's like, okay, what next, I guess. (laughs) What else? (laughs) And it also boils down to the, to the business. I mean, we, I think we've all alluded it to you know and how we're like kind of reverse incentivized to actually make progress the the biggest problem that i face with that is is sometimes the business the the, the quicker less riskier business models to adopt means stepping away from design and architecture as the big d and as the big a and like offering additional services and i and and that's also like a hard hard struggle but like Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a necessity to do that to give us the space to reassess like the true core business model and how do we rebuild that. That's a huge I think I, I agree. It's a huge limitation for a lot of people is getting out of their identity as an architect with a capital A or a designer with a capital D or a project architect or a technical architect or any one of those things. It's like this is what I was trained to do. I'm really good at it right here, right now. And to dilute that focus and place it upon other things that are more of a question mark in my mind as that person, man, what a hard sell. It's like I can continue to do what I'm really good at and what people tell me my value is versus my curiosity to go potentially chase something that could but then never pan out. I have to respond, is it truly valuable? Because we always complain about not getting paid for our value, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I try to, I have been really focused in on this people piece because for me, that's where the answer is. You know, I think we can put the systems in place and teach people the technology, but it really, I, I think it's the mindset. And, and I've done a lot of stuff with AA on leadership development. And then now I'm getting into this mentorship piece, but it, I'm trying really at the individual level to work with people and I like working with people who are interested in change, but even those who aren't just to see the potential, to get them past the barriers that they think there's these assumptions that the world has to be this way. I have to do it this way. And to be like, do you, do you really have to? I mean, most of the time what I found with my friends and my husband talks about this often is like when you're on a deadline with a client and it just feels like everything's on fire and you're trying to get this project done and then you're going to the job site and you've got an issue you've got to resolve. 
that there's no time. And so like time, I think, is like a really great conversation to just talk about and helping people step back from their their feelings of the idea that they don't ever have time to do all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, if we create more time, if we create systems that allow for more time and efficiency, then you prioritize differently. And I and I think there's so many parts of this conversation that I get excited about, but it's always about like unlocking that one thing that someone thinks is true and challenging it. Seems like right now is a great time to have that conversation, or it has been because everybody had a larger chunk of found time on their hands. And we've all read the studies about how productivity went way up because they're not doing these other things and they've filled those gaps with with work. Let's just call it work, <laughs> I, whatever it is, right? <laughs> but, you know, even even with the invention of mobile and how tiny it's gotten and like AirPods, when you're doing the dishes, now you can be multitasking, right? Because doing the dishes is kind of like driving in a car and it's kind of like you're on autopilot. So you can be learning through osmosis at that time or or when you're walking the dog or, you know. Things like that, where it's like this found time, have made you more productive so you can inject maybe those times, maybe not with work, but maybe with learning, that then directly applies to work. And so I think that it's like if you can't point at this recent last year as an example of what you're talking about, Janine, then then there's no getting through. But I think for a lot of people, it should be easy for them to cross the bridge into that conversation to say, no, look, really, like <laughs> here was a great example and if we can automate or use technology or whatever those things are to take care of the the dumb stuff, like, wouldn't you like more time to solve the meaty problems that actually will have meaningful outcomes to these various groups, and especially ourselves? Like, we, and we're always last, like, we're, we don't, we're not going to treat ourselves best in the beginning. But I do feel like a lot of that time can be applied back into the profession and steering it to where it needs to go. I just don't think... People are prioritizing their time like that, though. (laughs) I don't either. No, I think there's like a big fear that if they take their foot off the gas, everything's going to fall apart. And one of the things I did learn from Lean is that like when you slow down, you slow down to go fast. You put an organizational system in place so that you can speed up. Mm -hmm. And there's I've seen over and over again many architects are very unwilling to do that because they're like, oh my gosh, if I don't respond to this client right this second, right. you know, it's an emergency. If we don't get an answer out to our GC, you know, it's just like catastrophe. So, you know, there, there's never a, um, a willingness to, to slow down, to go fast. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. I, I, you see it all over the place and kind of the, also just setting or expectations when you do respond in 30 seconds to the thing. It's like, well, okay, they're always going to respond in 30 seconds to the thing. And so now I'm their highest priority just by default. And so it does become a slippery slope of there's, it takes the balance away from your life and from a balanced life. So it's impossible then to slow down because you're always just in reaction mode. Exactly. And I think that's something that I, I, I would say a big takeaway Evelyn has shown me is just this strategic thinking is a method to allow you to 
be more intentional. Like that is the that's the point. That's why people get excited about it. It's a it's a value system back to time and aligning with your priorities and not being so reactionary. I want to come to talking about the podcast because Evan, you've done an extended portfolio of podcasting. Mm -hmm. And so I'm so interested to hear, you know, what are big things that you've learned through that process and like things that have helped you even improve as an architect by having these conversations? I think the biggest thing, so one of the reasons I started podcasting was because I didn't feel like the, I don't necessarily want to pin it on like the company that I was working with, but let's just call it the profession. Didn't invest, wasn't interested in any one person in particular who is very interested in a trajectory that is not the normal. And I think a lot of people feel that way, right? They feel like, my God, I could go so much faster. I could do so much more if you would just let me, right? So it's kind of like waiting around asking for permission. And so my starting the podcast was like, screw it. <laughs> Let's make something happen and be open to the opportunities that come from it. And it wasn't like super intentional, but it turned out to be a really good decision to make because it opened up a ton of opportunities that nobody else, no, A, would ever get and B, just you could never see it coming. You can, you never know. And so just kind of being open to what's possible with that, I think it was a really fun journey to go on. And so that to me is probably the biggest influence back into the profession is just being really open and being really curious and going outside of your usual echo chamber, which is like the office, right? <laughs> to Because it's so funny. Architects love hanging out with architects until they don't. Even happy hours with a bunch of other architects who are complaining about the same things <laughs> that you just spent all day complaining about. Right? That's another so, thing I think that actually makes us so start, like, we can't get out of our own way fast enough. And we only complain to other architects. And then we pilot so on more. therefore, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, and that was, you know, one of the big things about even branching out to a, another podcast myself was to expand the range of conversations and topics because ArcaSpeak is very much about the the day-to-day, -day, what it's like to work in an office and really exposing that and like the good and the bad. There's great stuff that especially older generations of architects will just tune in just so it's they feel like they're back in the studio. We've had those those comments those that feedback given directly to us. It's like, man, I just turn it on so that I feel like you know, even though I'm sitting alone at my drafting table in Vermont as a retiree, I feel like I'm in the studio again. But then we also get the students who are like, "Oh my god, thank you for showing us what it's actually like because our professors don't know. They know they don't practice, right? They're mm -hmm. academics." So that to me has been I think that's valuable, but it gets kind of like what we just talked about, what Evelyn just mentioned, which was like it becomes kind of the circular conversation, right? Like that we can't get out of our own way. And we're kind of, did we say that already? I'm pretty sure we did three different times, but maybe this time <laughs> it's a little different. We used a different word. But to me, expanding that out to tech and to which is there's constantly kind of fresh stuff there to talk about. And and then using that as a tool to come back to practice with and saying, like, broader range of experiences equal better designer. I fully believe that. And so the more people on your team who you can encourage to have a broader set of experiences is going to lead to better design outcomes because there's more empathy, there's more experience, there's more points of view, 
coming into the equation that creates design outcomes. So I, that to me has been probably one of the biggest benefits of going into podcasting, but it, it doesn't stop there for me. It's adventure, it's travel, it's, it's stuff like that too. I also think it's like all best intention, right? Like I know leaders out there who want this, but bring and bring that into their firm, but then they don't, they don't give voice mm-hmm, to those people. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's almost like a marketing ploy. Like, yep, we hired this diverse group. To work the same as we've always worked. <laughs> they don't exactly. say the second part, yes. but they like saying no. the first part. <laughs> they, they keep that, you know, behind the closet door until you get into the office. Right. And then the truth comes out. And I think that's where my pessimism then kicks in, because I, I so want this to be an opportunity, a moment coming out of the pandemic for change in not only practice, but how we're working um, with one another and I'm just listening to all these principles saying like, but we can only, it's only always, we've only ever done it this way. It's only ever worked this way. I I heard one principal say in the same breath, she believes with full conviction, you know, my small firm, you know, we just, we're, we're just getting back into the office and we, we really love the culture of being back in the office, you know, but we're talking about how many days we should allow individuals to have flexibility. And we're worried that if they give them too, fle- too much flexibility, they won't show up in the office. And I was like, but you like said with so much conviction that like everyone loves being in the office. And yet, you know, that they all want greater flexibility and that's going to change the dynamic. So, so that's where you need to start to create change. Yeah, totally. That one statement is at odds with itself because it's like a personal preference <laughs> that is applied to everybody to start it off. And then there's the reality of it. Yeah, it's interesting. How how can firms think that they will be a thing in the future if they're limiting their staff demographics to within 30 miles of their office in a technology-based society that we live in nowadays? That, to me, seems super, super short-sighted. And we've been operating. I mean... We, we have architects of record, right? We have residential architects that design incredible residences all over the world. Like those systems were in place pre-pandemic. Yeah. I think we're going down tangent here. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know. Yes. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> well, what about you guys on your podcast side? And how does that influence what you guys are doing now with your day-to-day main jobs? I think that I felt so restrained working in my career the past 10 years. And the podcast has been a way to break free from that. I started my business because I was, I kind of came to the conclusion that if I can't practice in a way that makes me happy, then I have nothing to risk by starting my own business. Mm -hmm. You can always go Um, back to unhappiness. Sure. Yeah, I can always go back to unhappiness. (laughs) But I love running my business. It's so fulfilling for me. Now, of course, I've always wanted to, but, but doing it, it's like, wow, I feel so much more fulfilled, even on the hard days and coming through the hard stuff. Like I get so much joy out of it that it makes it worth it. I just don't think I could go back. And I, and I think if more people realize like a, that if you didn't work for a firm, if you worked for yourself and you consulted or you, you know, I always think about Nels's interview that we did early on about this decentralized model of workforce. I really think that's the future because I feel so much joy in the way that I'm working now unconstrained. Um, I take on the projects I want. It's hard. It challenges me, but I like get so much reward at the end of the day. 
But the podcast has been like <laughs> therapeutic, to be totally honest. I had so much built up frustration. And I think <laughs> I know people hear it in episodes and I'm working through stuff like as I have these conversations to figure out like, what do, what do I think now? But I am really happy with the content that we've created because I feel like it's it's I believe in it and I stand behind it. And and every time we have a new conversation, I learn something new that makes me feel more optimistic about the future of the right. profession again. Totally. Whereas I I wasn't. Yeah, that's great. What about you, Evelyn? No, I I think I think similarly. I, I also think it was just like um I I go back to this whole notion of like like always feeling so alone moving away from architecture and knowing that knowing somewhere out there there's other people that are equally feeling alone and then having those individuals kind of reach back to us out to us and saying, you know, what you're saying is resonating with us like thank you you know, thank you for having a <laughs> for sharing your shared experience. Mm-hmm that's that's kind of what what really continues to to drive me. I mean, we talked with Catherine about this. It's really hard to understand who's who's listening, who's resonating. Yeah. But but when we hear back from the listeners and they're saying like you're you're saying all the things that I am thinking, you know, thank you so much. That's that's kind of just what keeps it keeps me going and it gives me more optimism for the future of of the profession. I, I think one of the big drivers that I've you, I taught a class for a couple of years and it was about emerging technology. And that's, that was before the podcast, the new podcast started. And I shared those experiences on the other podcast. And that I think those stories really did resonate with people because the purpose of the class was to say, okay, look, we've got all these new career paths possible inside of architecture for all of you students of architecture. It's not all about being a project manager being a technical architect or being a designer. It's actually not just those three things anymore. So look at all this huge landscape that technology is affording the profession and potential for you to go and try something and stay in the profession. And that to me is optimistic for the the audience we're talking about, right? And so when it when you kind of compare when you see people who are older you know, well-seasoned architects who are totally miserable. It's like, what are you giving people a model of looking forward to there? They're like, I don't want to be miserable like you when I grow up, right? (laughs) But man, there's a lot of other stuff out there. It's not just that one path. And so I think like that's where shows like ours come in to kind of help fill the void of potential for people and to keep them in the profession of architecture I mean, if you survived architecture school and you enjoyed it, this is for you. But there's lots of different ways you can take it from here. If you survived architecture school and you didn't enjoy it, you should probably go do something else because like you'll never get anything out of this profession that'll be worth worth it. Like like you said, Janine, it's like I wasn't happy and I can always go back. I might as well try some other stuff and see if that makes me happy. But but ironically, my husband is a practicing architect, and he's very good at it, mm-hmm. and he loves it, and it's the only thing he's ever wanted to do. But even he struggles with these same things. He's told me that he struggles with these same things that mm-hmm. I I do, even though I've left and he stayed. So it's universal, and I think a lot of architects still experience it, whether they admit it or not. They just accept it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of acceptance of the status quo, that's for sure. 
going back to the beginning, getting out of our own way. It's pretty hard. <laughs> and and the sunk costs. Like I spent five years, I got my B arc, I got licensed. How could I right. ever Oh my wife's in that boat majorly. She she same thing, got her masters in architecture and now she deals with Revit on a daily basis and she's just like, I hate this so much, but I feel like I have to pay off my debt with this tool. And it's like, what a terrible spot to be. Tell her to come have a conversation with her. Okay. <laughs> I feel like we've gone into kind of a dark place, you guys. And I, I do feel like we should come back to um, our optimism, which is is what we're here to do through our shows. So maybe we can share some closing thoughts about optimism and where we're heading with the future of the profession. Well, one thing that, I've been really excited about it. it's just the guests that have been on the shows and like like you said earlier Evelyn like there has been crossover of guests and they're that's maybe similar topics but totally different conversations and I think getting those multiple points of view has been really great like that's a that's actually a, a benefit and kind of a tool for the listeners to get different perspectives from the same person on different shows and so I mean that's something that I'm really excited about is the future of of our shows and the guests that are yet to be on or, or who are going to be on again, you guys said that you already planning like year four. So what are you, or season four, I should say, but what are you guys, um, what are you excited? We could about? be planning out to year yeah. four. <laughs> this that would be some super um, skills, man. I can't do that. <laughs> I, I mean, yes, relative to the podcast, I think, um, you know, as more people hear it, we get more suggestions of, of great speakers of people. It's, I, I feel like my optimism comes from the people that we bring on that see, see value and opportunity and are actually acting on it, right? In a way that's different and unique and unusual. And I, and I, and I love that I am learning that I continue to learn so much from them. And, you know, while I kind of maintain this pessimistic framework, I am seeing these firms emerge from the pandemic differently, right? That the, there's these job postings going out for all, all remote workers. So there, there, is, there is hope that like change, change is coming. I hope that these firms that make these changes are the ones that prove out to be the more successful mm -hmm. ones, because then then the firms that don't change have will have nothing to do but look at the firms that change and say what are they doing differently and how how can we you know, we're no longer competing at their level yeah i think something else that i'm really optimistic about is when i was in washington dc last week i was meeting with the aia and obviously you're so involved there and i i'm really optimistic the group of people that i'm working with there are fantastic and like you said a minute ago with with like the guests on the shows there's people like that in the aia too who are identifying these kind of opportunities and just going for it and to me right. that's fantastic to, to see that happening in our national organization is fantastic to see so gave me a lot of good feelings <laughs> good vibes and uh and i'm excited <laughs> to see where that goes and and i know you're a big part of that as well and in the work that you're doing there is in a similar vein. It's like identifying these things. Let's do something about them. Let's stop just talking about those. Obviously, policy and things like those take time, but raising those 
conversations to the surface and then acting on them has given me a lot of optimism for the profession and for our national organization. Right. And I think it's, it's such a funny thing too, right? Because people outside of the AIA are always complaining about the AIA. Frankly- In the AIA, AIA too, it's like, I'm a member. What are they doing for me? I'm you're, well, yeah, you're but I, I, but if you talk to all the leadership, though, like we're we're not we're not happy with where we are. Not content, right? <laughs> we're not content, and that's why we've taken up these volunteer leadership roles right. to to push things forward and to make change. Um, um, and and in many ways, that's like that's how I found my my people. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I guess we're not complaining from the outside. We're not complaining as the mailbox member. We're, we're trying to, I guess, be more, a little bit more active in our complaints. And I guess if circling back full circle to what you said at the top of our conversation, we have the ability to design our own way Mm -hmm. forward. So let's, let's figure out how to do that. Who better? (laughs) I'd rather not leave it to somebody else. Well, maybe that's where we that's could wrap this up and, and table some thoughts to uh, to another time. But that, this has been a fantastic conversation. Yeah. Thanks so much. I'll include a link to your show. And this is a crossover episode, so it's happening in two places at the same time. We'll, we'll release these episodes together in hopes that listeners of our shows will go listen to the other shows and like round out these conversations and and just bring more input to the the landscape that we're participating in. Thank you to Twin Motion for their support of this episode of Troxel Podcast. You can visit twinmotion.link/trxl or I've made it easy for you. Just click the link in the show notes and download your copy of Twin Motion for free. This show is part of the Gabled Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gabledmedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E. Troxel. Talk to you soon.